0: Hey, Kami. Hey, Bryant. What do Robin Hood, Vlad the Impaler, and Mothman have in common?
1: IDK, what?
0: Well, they're all topics on our podcast, Mystery, where each week we discuss a new myth and the history behind it. That's Myth Story with an I-E. See you then.
1: everybody and welcome to will this be on the test i'm maddie i'm austin and we're here today to talk about some of the things we should have learned in school but didn't learn didn't learn fully or didn't learn correctly and sometimes
0: gosh we already talked about the ghost have we had anything else happen this week
1: well i feel like i've got a little bit of npr voice this week
0: you, re- you really do are we doing a pledge drive <laughs> are we getting a- do we have a motherfucking tote bag
1: we should get a tote bag. Yes. No, it's because I think I'm fighting off a sinus infection. My throat's a little sore, so I'm a little less loud than usual.
0: I Part of me is sad, but part of me is also a little happier, less loud than usual.
1: I mean, you have to live with me. You get to hear the loud 24-7.
0: I do. Well, less
1: so now because you're back at work morale. I
0: am. Those of you at home, you really only get one hour of her being loud a week. I get many more. So think about how blessed I am.
1: I'm hilarious, though.
0: You are very funny. And
1: I have the best ideas, like how we should make Latin the new universal language. Oh, here we go again. Well, okay. I was talking yesterday about how we should have a universal language, and Esperanto was clearly not the way to go. I mean, the most common, if I remember right, the most common first language is Mandarin, but that's all in, like, one general area. The most common second language is English, but... I was saying Latin because it's a dead language. Even people in Vatican City don't speak it as a first language. And so everybody would have to learn it as an additional language as opposed to favoring any one culture over another.
0: My response was, or we could all just speak Klingon.
1: He also said, or we could all just speak English because we all know Americans won't learn another language anyway.
0: That's, that was very cynical and very accurate.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is both cynical and accurate,
0: but... Oh, oh, here we go. Let's go with a more modern take instead of Klingon. Dothraki
1: (laughs) oh it's okay there is like a full like language for Klingon and there's a full language for Elvish yeah. I don't think there's a full language for Dothraki.
0: Not yet there isn't.
1: So we'll just be making stuff up as we go along.
0: George R.R. Martin, I know you're trying to furiously write like 20,000 more pages Didn't about- Didn't he
1: promise us he, was going- he would like be dead by now if it wasn't done by now or something like that?
0: I don't know. It's George R. R. Martin. We know you're still alive. I know you've got like 30,000 more pages to write all about dicks, <sighs> but I feel like you should just- Spend your time making Dothraki a complete language. Because I, for one, want to know what the Dothraki word for computer or microphone would be.
1: (laughs) Oh man, I do not feel good.
0: You don't? Oh no. Am I going to have to carry this episode with my charisma?
1: Well, I feel like all of my charisma has been taken by my new hoodie.
0: (gasps) Oh yeah, she's got a Mothman hoodie that I'm very jealous of.
1: It says Live, Laugh, Lurk on it.
0: We, we love ourselves some cryptids.
1: Yeah, we love cryptids and we have like an irrational level of hatred for wall hangings that say things like live, laugh, love. We call it, what do we call that section at Target?
0: The random ass section.
1: Yeah, the random ass section has nothing but inspirational quotes that make us roll our eyes like so hard and... But I saw this and it was Live Laugh Lurk and I just couldn't, I just couldn't.
0: It's a good one. I'm very jealous and of it. It's
1: very soft. You guys know how like a new hoodie feels? This is the best. It's got Mothman on it. He's like marching around. I should just do a whole separate podcast. It's just me rambling about cryptids.
0: You did like go on and on about, was it Spronk?
1: Spronk. I did not go on and on. As a new one I learned about, he, uh he lives... Oh god, somewhere out east
0: in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and oh, he I, no.
1: and he's so he's really ugly and he cries and if you catch him he turns into a puddle of tears like Alex Mack, but not tears with Alex Mack, but also Austin didn't think Alex Mack was real.
0: It sounded like a fever dream.
1: Okay, all of 90s Nickelodeon sounds like a fever dream. We watched Kablam the other day.
0: Oh, that was that was bad.
1: It was so good, especially the uh the superhero toys. Uh Uh-huh. Like, every once in a while, I just will say, Miltman with the power to milt, and I don't think he knew what I was talking about.
0: No idea.
1: So it's excellent. It holds up um, exactly as much as any Nickelodeon show from the (laughs) 90s does. Like, I have the full series of Doug downstairs, and I have Rocco's Modern Life, I think, and... Yeah, you didn't grow up with Cable, so you don't yeah. understand my deep attachment like, to these. I know
0: of these shows because I would see them occasionally at, like, friends' houses. Or we'd go to Grandma's and spend the night there because Grandma had Cable. Oh, we also,
1: I also have um, Are You Afraid of the Dark, which is the best show in history. And they keep saying they're rebooting it, and it hasn't happened.
0: Well, maybe we should just reboot it. We, we can start should. telling ghost stories oh my God. instead and of you, doing a podcast. You
1: love Westerns, so I need to find some YouTube versions of Hey Dude and make you watch it.
0: Hey Dude Hey Dude Isn't that the Beatles song?
1: No that's Hey Jude What? Wait yeah. seriously They're been, very different I've had different. this
0: No I've had this song Like wrong in my head The entire time <laughs> It's not nah, nah 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 Hey Dude It's Hey Jude
1: <laughs> What do you think? Saying when he was saying Judy, Judy, Judy. Judy, Judy, Judy. I thought oh, it was geez. extra
0: funny. That's why it was my favorite because he said, duty. Oh, God. You're just ruining everything. No, for me. I just
1: took a sad song and made it better.
0: <laughs> okay, folks. We're backing up this podcast. Maddie won. And here she was saying, I'm sick. I'm not going to do that great. And then, boom, <laughs> just knockout punch at the six minute, 22 second mark. <laughs>
1: Probably not that far for you because he's going to be editing. Yeah.
0: I'm going to add more Hey Jude to make it exactly at 626. Oh,
1: perfect. Because that's what everybody wants is to hear you singing Hey Dude.
0: It, more importantly, it'll also get us a copyright claim, so we'll get taken down.
1: Oh, so, this is the worst. That's actually a thing that's been going around in my podcast groups right now is people getting like cease and desists over random shit. Like, um, somebody got one over using a hashtag that wasn't actually related to another company, but the company decided it was. And. One of them got co- got hit, sent a cease and desist because they had a podcast with a similar title, but it's a title that is like a common phrase. Huh. And I'm like, I'm pretty, like, you can't, I mean, you probably can trademark a common phrase, but it's not easy. Like, think of the equivalent of, of copywriting the word yeah. Ugh.
0: I did spend most of last week dealing with copyright claims for articles people were trying to borrow. It hurts my head. I hate <laughs> copyright so much.
1: Like, I get why it's important, but I also, I feel like it's used as a way to bully pretty often. It is. And, I mean, if somebody was using my actual art, yes, I would go after them. But, I mean, there are 20,000 songs with the same name, and people yep. just chill. You don't get that confused by it. Huh. Uh, so who goes first this week? I think you go first this week. What did we talk about last
0: week? I talked about the, the thrilling part two of the Freedom Rides, and you talked about... Uh, oh, the, God.
1: The <laughs> 20th Amendment.
0: <laughs> the 20th Amendment. Oh, I guess I could go first. Yeah. Thing. Then I'm going to talk about my thing, because I've been doing, like, serious stuff for a while. I decided I'm going to go a little less serious this week and talk about one of the most devastating fires in American history. Cool. I'm talking about The Great Chicago Fire. Not to be confused with the hit NBC show, Chicago Fire.
1: Is this the one that involves a cow? Yes. Or so we were told.
0: Or so we were told. I see your face. Here we are, like, just getting right out in front of me, destroying everything. Yeah, all we learned in school, or at least all I learned, was that this fire was started by Mrs. O'Leary's cow. And just some other nonsense. And that was really about it. But... It turns out the one thing I remember actually learning about this is a lie. hmm The fire started around 9 p.m. on October 8th, 1871. The popular story is that Mrs. O'Leary's cow knocked over a lantern or a candle or something in the barn while Mrs. O'Leary was milking the cow and she ran out and this big fire burned down all of Chicago. hmm But Mrs. O'Leary did own five cows and she actually made her living by milking cows and going door to door and selling milk.
1: I'm just imagining owning cows in Chicago now. Yeah, and this is like it's, like... it's hard to think about Chicago being a place where you could own cows. Oh,
0: yeah. There's a lot of stuff about uh, old Chicago, not the restaurant.
1: <laughs> that pizza is n- does not taste anything like Chicago pizza. No.
0: The fire did start in her barn. So she owned cows. The fire started in her barn. But... She said, that she said that she was asleep when the fire started. She actually remembered being like woken up by the sounds of people clamoring to put out fire and by her husband saying, there's a fire.
1: Those poor cows.
0: And there was a guy who had been at a party and was drunk and was walking with a wooden leg, who noticed the barn was on fire. <laughs> so,
1: okay, walking with a wooden leg. So, did the guy have a wooden leg, or was he just carrying one with him? He,
0: he had a wooden leg.
1: Oh, man. He I cla- was hoping he was drunk and stole he, someone's wooden leg. That would have been so
0: much better. No, but he, he claims that he was, like, the first one to see the fire, and he knew that, oh my gosh, those cows are in there. He knew that um, horses would freeze around a fire, they, I don't know if they actually do, but that's what this drunk guy said. I don't think so. And they needed to be let out of the barn if it's on fire. So he went into the barn to, like, open the doors and try and lead out the cows. Yeah. And, and he said that it was on fire, but he didn't see that anyone was milking or anything in there. And there was just lots of contrary accounts of what had happened. A woman who was throwing the party that the neighbors were having said that she saw someone go into the barn, but she didn't know if it was Mrs. O'Leary or not. And, like, stuff doesn't add up. And it turns out that the story about... Her cow kicking it over was printed in the Chicago Evening Journal before the fire even stopped, before there had been any, there'd been an actual official investigation.
1: So kind of like how we still learn about Kitty Genovese as nobody called the police when that's not true because the news just thought it was better.
0: The author of this story claims that he heard it from neighborhood children, that it was true and he heard it from multiple witnesses and that he actually made it all up.
1: So he heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard, heard it, it from, from another, another that that cow was messing around. Yeah. So again, the, all the sources
0: that it was started by her cow are pretty unreliable. And Mrs. O'Leary said, it's like, why would I start a fire in my barn, then go to bed only to be woken up to put out the fire I started?
1: <laughs> Those, okay, did the cows all die?
0: I didn't find anything out about that. The the
1: drunk guy went in to let the cows out, so
0: yeah. Yeah. Of course,
1: this is the thing I'm concerned about. It's, you know, the cows cows wanted nothing to do with this.
0: The cows just wanted to live their best cow life. They were,
1: and they were milking cows, so they were living good. They were like, especially in the days before like the machinery that milks them. They were like well cared for, and Mm -hmm. yeah, these were like all bunch bunch of cow friends. These
0: were these were like these were good cows. Like they were living in the city, so it probably wasn't like they weren't like strolling through like picturesque meadows. They were in a yard in Chicago.
1: I mean, you you do what makes you happy. And if those cows really wanted to escape, they could, because I've seen cows escape. They are crafty motherfuckers.
0: Yeah, so when they finally did get a commission together, they did determine that the fire was, she was in bed when the fire started. After questioning 50 people and compiling over 1,000 pages of handwritten notes, they never could determine what started the fire.
1: All we know is it wasn't Billy Joel.
0: No, Billy Joel did not start this fire. He wasn't even alive yet. Are we sure? I'm pretty sure.
1: I mean, this was over
0: 100 years ago. It's like 150 years ago. But Billy Joel is eternal. Is Billy Joel a Highlander?
1: I mean, he ages. Does he, though? Yeah, I saw him in concert. Oh, okay. He yeah, looks he very ages. different from how he did 20 years ago.
0: <laughs> so uh, the likely cause was just a spray, stray spark from a chimney, and it was a kind of windy night. Also, also, Chicago was super fire prone. They had an average of two fires a day.
1: They're like California now. And they'd
0: had 20 in the week before, and it had been a super long drought. It was very dry, and the firefighters were exhausted, and a lot of their equipment was damaged from fighting another major fire the night before. The cause was thoroughly pinned on Mrs. O'Leary, largely because she was Irish. Of course. Yeah, I, anti-Irish sentiment was all over the place at the time. No one liked the Irish, because they had all just... Suddenly moved into America because there were no more potatoes in Ireland and people were very upset and there's a lot of nativist, nationalists, just America's for Americans bullshit that we still can't seem to shake. And the
1: Native Americans are over here like, bro. Come on, man. You don't sit there and say nativist. We can hear you.
0: The press ran with it because it was a big popular story and it like, you know, dunked on the Irish. And they had every like negative Irish stereotype applied to her, that she was drunk. She was this hunched over old woman, weary from a lifetime of toil. She was not old. She was in her fifties.
1: Oh no, she's a hard worker. How dare she? Some papers
0: even accused her of starting the fire intentionally out of spite,
1: Hey, but I haven't heard anything about witchcraft yet.
0: Yeah. I didn't see any accounts of her being accused of witchcraft. Honestly, would not be surprised if she was. But anyway, this fire got started. Probably not by her. Definitely not by a cow. And it start. It quickly got completely out of control because it was dry. The neighborhood was almost all wooden buildings. There were wooden streets and wooden sidewalks, and there was also various industries throughout and lots of like coal piles and lumber yards. And everything was flammable. Uh, it actually burned so hot that they didn't even need sparks to start the start the fire. It was so hot, hot it was igniting. The wood oh, man. on nearby buildings, um, which sucked because again everything was made of wood,
1: including that guy's leg. Oh my god! Do you think that
0: guy's leg caught fire?
1: I kind of like. I was imagining that was why you brought up the fact that he had a wooden leg.
0: No, he just had a wooden leg. It was like one of the facts they mentioned about this guy. It's like it was like a local color piece. Like one-legged man tries to stop fire. More than eleven, but he didn't. He did not. It was so hot that the firefighters could not even approach the fire in some places to fi- fight it. One firefighter reported that he had to carry a door as a shield so he could get close enough to the fire to spray it with his hose. It should also mention this point that these aren't like modern fire engines. They were horse-drawn and some were hand-pumped, but it sounds like most of them were had steam pumps on them to pump water. Mm-hmm. but you know it was not nowhere near the quality of equipment that we have now so it was not great every fire engine available was called in but they could not stop the fire and they could barely even sl- slow it down and also some were misrouted to different parts of the city in an error Ugh. and the fire watch was tired and didn't notice it for a while
1: oh jeez. yep
0: So the fire quickly spread out of control. The heat from this fire actually caused some severe convection, which is hot air rising, which caused tornadoes made of fire that were flinging flaming debris far from where the fire was.
1: That's actually scarier than a sharknado.
0: Yeah, fire tornadoes actually happened. It even burned down brick and stone buildings that they thought would be fairly fireproof and would act as a firebreak to all of this. They did not. They also thought the river would act as a firebreak. The river did not. And let me tell you why it didn't. You're making a face.
1: Yeah, I have a feeling I know why.
0: There were wooden docks, wooden bridges, lumber yards, coal yards, the south side gas works, Mm -hmm. a train car full of kerosene. Mm -hmm. Also, the river itself was heavily polluted.
1: That was the face.
0: And in some places, the river... Did catch fire. Yep. At this point, the mayor was begging for help from neighboring towns because this fire was out of control and it was quickly burning down Chicago. It's not clear if they managed to get any type of help in time. The courthouse was also about to catch fire at one point and the prisoners inside were screaming to be released. Some workers actually tried to break down the prison walls to free them, but they were chased off by guards saying that only the mayor had the power to release these men. Ugh. The mayor actually did order them to be released. Some of the murderers were let out under guard, Mm -hmm. but everyone else was just simply let free.
1: So it's almost like nonviolent drug offenses should be the ones let free during COVID and not the murderers. Yeah, it's like maybe- These guys are clearly dangerous, but the dude who sold two ounces of marijuana, you should probably let him go. Yeah, Just let him run into the night. Don't let him light on fire. Please
0: don't let low-level drug offenders die on a fire. Actually, this was believed to be a myth for the longest time about the prisoners, but in 1998, they actually found his note and they managed to authenticate it, ordering the release of these prisoners. It is one of the only surviving documents, like official documents, written during the fire. And it was just, so it was true. They did release the prisoners and got them out of there. So they
1: kind of saw them as people.
0: Yeah. It's like, we don't want these people to burn to death. When the city hall burned down, the bell tower collapsed at about 2.30 a.m. And the bell falling made such a loud noise, it was heard for miles around. About this time, some people at the opera house were uh, kind of watching the fire and thinking, oh, it's far enough away. We're going to be fine. And they're just kind of looking at it. <laughs> then they noticed the city hall was on fire and it was just a few blocks away. So they thought, oh shit, we need to get the art out of the opera house. Yeah. So they did. They started taking down the big pictures and like throwing them out the windows mm-hmm. after rolling them up to people in the streets onto carts they getting the smaller works out when they noticed the opera house was definitely on fire not on fire inside yet so we had to work pretty quickly
1: <laughs> yeah, you know i love that that sounds like theater opera people right there and they
0: were getting them out they actually got like people on the street it's like hey help us carry this precious artwork out of here we're carrying them to this guy's house and we're going to store it there we hope it's far enough away we don't know <laughs>
1: I love that people were like, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll help with that and we won't steal this.
0: Yeah, so that just carried artwork out of there and a lot of it managed to be fine. So they got the artwork out of the opera house and the prisoners out of City Hall. And then the fire spread to the city waterworks and they were unable to control the fire on the waterworks. So it burned down and that meant the water mains no longer had water pressure. Oh no. So there was absolutely nothing firefighters could do anymore to stop this fire. It was completely out of control. The mayor also saw that there was nothing he could do anymore, so he just went home. <laughs> it was early in the morning, he was going home, and according to legend, he was so downtrodden and covered in ash and soot, his wife didn't recognize him and refused to let him in the house. Uh, the fire wouldn't go out until October 10th, days later. There was some rain, but at that point the fire had mostly put itself out because it had gotten out of the dense parts of Chicago, and it was in the sparser areas where it was just easier to control and there wasn't as much to burn there was still stuff to burn just not as much all told 3.3 square miles of Chicago burned about 300 people die 100,000 people were homeless and it caused about 200 million dollars in damage
1: okay just think for a second a hundred thousand people are homeless in a just over three mile radius. If that gives you an idea, and Chicago is more populous now.
0: $200 million in damage, about a third of the city's estimated value at the time. $200 million in today money is about 4500000000 Mm-hmm. So this is America's biggest fire, and there's a lot of aftermath to this that's actually kind of exciting and fun. So the aftermath. Um, some historians actually think that the fire was a net improvement on the city <laughs> because the city's infrastructure was largely intact, like the sewer lines transportation like all of that stuff was still there so it was easy for them to rebuild and less expensive than it would have been otherwise to completely build new stuff and because everything had been cleared out they were able to bring in architects and builders and build everything better and there's a lot of architectural innovation and just kind of city planning that happened instead of just people throwing shit down and then the city evolved so there's like a level of city planning in chicago's downtown that you don't see in places like boston where it's like a cow walked here 50 years ago, so now we've got a road.
1: Yes, that is exactly how Boston is laid out, but by God, I love that city. There was a downside
0: to this, though. In a colossal dick move, people people's fire insurance policies got destroyed in the fire. Uh-huh. And they were unable to get their fire insurance, so they couldn't afford to rebuild. So a lot of the poorer residents of the area got forced out.
1: Yeah, that- something it's like you have fire insurance but it's on paper only and you have to keep it in the house that is on fire
0: yeah and the insurance offices also burned down that had the other policies so they Mm can even say that they had it
1: and even if they had still had it you didn't have id back then so you couldn't prove that you were this person in chicago
0: they probably didn't even have that problem (laughs) That just oh my god so huge dick move but you know it's chicago baby also let's talk a little bit more about the O'Leary's. Okay. Strangely, even though their barn was the epicenter of this fire, their house survived.
1: Oh, wow. Maybe the, f- maybe the fire was Irish and it was like, this lady's going through enough. But
0: there were lots of Irish people in Chicago. But
1: she was the one who was being targeted for this fire.
0: Yeah. Ooh, maybe it was because she was Irish.
1: Maybe she was a witch.
0: Maybe. Why are we accusing her of being a witch?
1: Well, they didn't and her house was saved. She's clearly heavier than a duck. She's not a witch. <laughs> We don't... I'm sorry, did you see a picture of her? She could be quite small. I saw
0: some illustrations, and she definitely was heavier than a, wit, than a duck.
1: Was was the illustration done by the children who told the guy the cow kicked it over?
0: No, it was actually some horrible, horrible Irish stereotypes in this illustration. She basically looked like a bent-over crone screaming at a cow as it kicked over a lantern.
1: Yeah, see, I'm not saying she's a witch because she's Irish. I'm saying she's a witch because her house didn't burn down. Yeah. And Ooh. because nobody said it yet. Maybe. And every woman who's ever had anything happen around her is a witch. I should know. <gasps> (gasps) Because you're a witch? Yes.
0: I knew it. That explains why I got turned into a newt.
1: I'm not a witch. I'm your wife.
0: (laughs) You are on fire today. I love it. Much
1: like Chicago.
0: Oh, damn.
1: Apparently I should just always be sick.
0: You should always be sick. Don't always be sick. She's miserable when she's sick.
1: I'm miserable and whiny, yes.
0: Mrs. O'Leary was threatened and harassed for her alleged involvement in the fire for years. Um, at one point, P.T. Barnum actually approached her to be in his show. The
1: fucker always has to show up.
0: She refused. Yeah. Uh, she finally died in 1894. And her doctor said that like, she denied this her entire life. You know, she didn't really speak out about it and never really gave interviews. But she's like, she denied this her entire life. This ate at her. It made her so sad that people blamed her for this fire that she had nothing to do with.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, I'm sure she had some survivor's guilt and all this because it it started yeah. at her house and she never denied that. And But it wasn't her fault.
0: Yep, her son, uh, Big Jim O'Leary, said it got him hot under the collar that people blamed his mother for this. And he said it was spontaneous combustion caused by green hay, which you know how compost heaps get hot? Mm -hmm. That will happen with hay piles. Mm -hmm. But this also probably isn't true because there was a massive drought. And any hay that they would have gotten would have been already very dry.
1: Well, I imagine that barns are pretty humid though, because they're closed up and they have um, like the water troughs and the urine and stuff in there. They'd be yeah. fairly. And they're milking cows; it'd be fairly humid I mean, in there.
0: It's possible. And also, her son Big Jim got involved in illegal gambling in Chicago, mm-hmm. and was like kind of a early pioneer in Chicago organized crime. Perfect. Uh, he got famous for a trick where to delay cops trying to raid his facilities, he had a hollow door that he filled with chili powder. So when they broke it in, they got just coated in hot powder and they couldn't see. This and guy blinded is them. a genius. Yeah. He also paved the way for Al Capone and was a big part in starting the gang wars that were leading to Prohibition. So he was, he shaped a lot of Chicago. Definitely more than his mother did. Okay,
1: like, but he also is the inspiration for Home Alone, I assume.
0: Yes. Yeah, Big Jim O'Leary. It took place in Chicago too. Maybe- Oh, it's all coming together. Maybe
1: maybe Kevin McAllister is one of the O'Leary descendants. And so he got this whole, like, booby trap gene. Yeah,
0: yeah there's, there is Epigenetics. the- Epigenetics. Bo- there is the booby trap gene, yes. We just
1: can't find it because it's epigenetic. Also,
0: because of all of the empty space- in downtown, and a bunch of skilled craftsmen and architects working in the area. After the fire, Chicago got the World's Fair in 1893. Mm -hmm. And because there were so many builders and about a third of America's population came to the World's Fair, a certain gentleman named H.H. Holmes was able to easily build a Uh murder house Uh because there were so many builders that would do so many crazy things. They could just hire them in succession and just no one knew what his murder mansion was going to be
1: yes and if you don't know who hh holmes is he was the first i believe the first could like confirmed serial killer in american history yeah probably not the first serial killer in american history just the first confirmed um he although there were the uh the benders i think they were before him
0: he um was provably killed nine people confessed to 22 but people think he actually killed closer to 200 people
1: yes there's an episode of supernatural about him
0: yeah, and I'm sure every true crime p- podcast has done an episode or two about this guy.
1: I believe so. Yes, and yeah. a lot of paranormal podcasts have as well because yeah. he's terrifying.
0: Uh, his murder house did burn down, sadly, yes. and again because about there was so Actually, many. Wasn't people-
1: it intentional? I don't know.
0: I don't know. I remember. feel like
1: they were afraid it was going to get, or maybe nobody tried to stop the fire. Something about, like, the neighbors were like, no, this needs to go because we don't want this turned into some kind of, like, everybody come to the museum. murder house. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and, and because there's so many people coming in Chicago and staying at his hotel, mm-hmm. he had a ready supply of people to just torture and murder.
1: Mm-hmm. Almost all women.
0: So there's a direct line between one of America's most notorious serial killers and the great Chicago Fire. Again, not the TV show.
1: And possibly Kevin McAllister, because H.H. Holmes also has some weird booby trap stuff happening.
0: So what is it with Chicago and booby traps?
1: Maybe oh maybe the two bloodlines eventually ran together. There's like a <gasps> Cle- most Mc- O'Leary Holmes McAllister thing happening.
0: Whoa, I think you just wrote a hit novel combining H.H. Holmes and <laughs> Home Alone. H.H. Holmes Alone!
1: I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs>
0: that's amazing. So are you ready for some questions? Yes. All right. Will the fact that Mrs. O'Leary's cow did not start the fire be on the test?
1: It should be, but it won't be because that's a fun version.
0: Will the almost comical flammability of Chicago's River be on the test? Yes. Will the fact that the fire was probably a good thing in the long run be on the test?
1: I think it depends on how they phrase it. Yeah. Because uh, I think that's actually a really important point. But you also don't want kids thinking, oh, if I burned down my house. I'll get a better house. Because, yeah. you know, some little sociopath out there is going to be like, hello. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that is a way people have, you know, the guy who was probably the Zodiac killer took care of his, mo- many of his problems.
0: Just by burning the house down. Yep. Burning down the house. Now we're, got, now we're on to Phil Collins. Is that Phil Collins? We'll say yes.
1: Okay. I legitimately don't know.
0: All right. And will H.H. H. Holmes be on the test? No. Not even in elementary school? <laughs>
1: Kindergarten, where you start learning about your serial killers. Okay, actually, these... no. In kindergarten was when I started loving unsolved mysteries. So it's the perfect age. <laughs> okay, kids.
0: Use. The letter H is for H H Holmes. Let's go into the details <gasps> of his grisly murders. Do you think Christine there's murders. a
1: serial killer ABC book? Because if there's not, we are trademarking that right now. I I'm
0: sure there is. I know there's cer- serial killer coloring books. I bet there's a serial killer ABC book.
1: Well, if there's not, we're trademarking it and we are creating this. Who would the X be? We'll figure it out.
0: That is. The Great Chicago Fire. All right. Pretty great.
1: All right, so my sources today are CNN, the book Can a Catholic Be a Democrat? The book Veeps, the Select Committee on Equal Educational Opportunity Interim Report from September 1970, which I got from eric.ed.gov, Britannica, Investopedia, Minnesota Public Radio, University of Minnesota, Miller Center at the University of Virginia, Regjaringin.no, which is a Norwegian website, Minnesota Star Tribune, Talking Points Memo, special shout out to the Wayback Machine and Google Books.
0: That's a lot of sources. Who did oh, you research? and Wikipedia. Who did you research this
1: time? Right, so I was reading this article about the history of vice presidents and like, if they're necessary, why do we have these guys? Because they're just, you know, they just sit there and do nothing. And Walter Mondale kept coming up. And to be honest, I mostly know about him from watching old episodes of Saturday Night Live because I grew up on SNL and I like still, I go back and watch it. And he's played by Bill Murray, Gary Kroger, Dana Carvey, and um, John Lovitz. And it's actually kind of amazing how little we learn about vice president. We've talked about how like we've, we have try to name like five of them, and you usually can and I usually can't. And yeah. neither one of us named Walter Mondale.
0: Well, and usually the vice presidents I can think of are either ones that have been during my lifetime or ones that became president because the president died.
1: Yeah. And we didn't ma- name Walter Mondale. And if it wasn't for Walter Mondale, we wouldn't have a vice presidency like we do now. Before them, I remember in Hamilton, they kept making jokes about how um, John Adams doesn't have a real job anyway? Yeah. When he was vice president? Was he vice president? I don't know. No, well, he wasn't vice president. Was he was president? John Adams. Well, he was, they, were, they make a lot of jokes about the vice president's not a real job. Yep. And it's because it wasn't. It was completely ceremonial. It was, this guy is here in case the president dies. And that is what it was until we had Walter Mondale, which I will talk about today. Um, Walter Frederick Mondale, he also went by Fritz, was born... Oh, when? He's still alive. Um, was born on January 5th, 1928 in Ceylon, Minnesota? Ceylon, Minnesota? I don't know. C-E-Y-L-O-N? It's
0: probably Ceylon.
1: Ceylon. Uh, His dad was named Theodore Sivgard Mondale.
0: Oh, so he's Norwegian.
1: Yes. And he was a Methodist minister.
0: That's acceptable.
1: Walter Mondale himself is a Presbyterian from all I could find. Nobody in his family is Lutheran. His uh, half-brother became a Unitarian minister. So I don't know. Is there something like Norwegian-Swedish beef that goes over Lutheranism here?
0: I don't think so. Mostly the Norwegian Swedish beef is over like a war that happened.
1: His dad's parents had immigrated from Norway. Their last name actually comes from Mundal, which is also known as Fjärland in Norway. And I did some reading on it and it sounds like the quaintest damn town on the face of the earth. Like they, their website is like, we've got all these bookstores. Look at all the bookstores we have. That sounds delightful. And there's like 300 people who live there. They've got a hotel. And I'm like, we're... Austin and I have always said that if we're going to move out of the country we're moving to somewhere in that general part of the world. Yeah. 300 people might be a little small, though. A little bit. His mother was named Clarabelle, which is basically the best name ever. And she was a music teacher whose parents immigrated from Ontario. So he come. He is the grandchild of immigrants. And his parents made sure they were abreast of current events and they didn't try to shield their kids from the political landscape of the time. They especially loved FDR. And I read some mixed stuff because Walter Mondale is called a New Deal Democrat, But there was some stuff in there that was like, yeah, he wasn't that big of a fan of the New Deal in the long term, but I couldn't really find anything that confirmed either direction. So Walter Mondale began college at McAllister College in St. Paul, but he left to work in D.C., where he was briefly Secretary of the Students for Democratic Action, but he left frustrated, returned to Minnesota, got a bachelor's degree in political science at the University of Minnesota in 1951. He wanted to go to law school, but he couldn't afford it. So he joined the army and served at Fort Knox while uh, while in Korea. And
0: that's where my grandpa was briefly.
1: I was actually thinking about that because my, gra- my grandpa was also in Korea, but I don't know where he served. Oh, I should have asked him today.
0: Say, and your grandpa was in the Marines, so probably not forks. That's not, true. Not, that was an that's Army true. One.
1: I always forget. Yeah, maybe your grandpa knew him. He was it's, in there from 1951 to 1953.
0: It's very possible.
1: So let's go get a Ouija board. Yeah, and we'll ask your grandpa. Dang it! It's like actually, your grandma would probably know.
0: Grandma would probably know. I and ask I would
1: love to know if there's any actual dirt on Walter Mondale because I've not able to find any.
0: I mean, if any,
1: if anybody could get Walter Mondale into some shit, it would be your grandpa.
0: Oh, it's he was. A scamp, I think would be the best way to describe him.
1: Yeah. He was discharged in 1953 and he attended law school at the University of Minnesota, largely thanks to the GI Bill. But he said he also paid for college overall with things like summer jobs, and he hates that that's not possible anymore. He actually recognizes that his generation, as long as they were white, had more opportunities than people do now. He also married Joan Adams during this time, not John Adams. Joan, Joan Adam. Adams. They had met on a blind date and Walter was worried her father wouldn't let her marry him because he was a chaplain at McAllister College, which he had attended before going to the University of Minnesota, and he hadn't been diligent about going to chapel. <laughs> and they kept records of that apparently. Oh no. <laughs> His dad, her dad was like, whatever. So she actually was also really cool. She wasn't supposed to have interests or opinions as the wife of a politician, but she did anyway. And she was like an art teacher and all this kind of stuff. She was very big into the arts. Uh, Mondale went on to be a law clerk at the Minnesota Supreme Court, work on the Supreme uh, Minnesota Law Review, and he entered politics about four years later. But um, he had been involved in politics in a more unofficial manner since he was about twenty, when he worked for Hubert Humphrey's Senate campaign, and he was covering the second district, which was super, super Republican. But since he had grown up there, he was actually able to convince this Republican district to go to vote for Democrat Hubert Humphrey. (laughs) He also worked in Orville Freeman's, and also, why did we get rid of the name Orville?
0: I blame the popcorn guys. Maybe it's like, do you really want to name your kid after popcorn?
1: Yes, yes, my other kid will be named like. Cheddar.
0: Orville. Chester Cheeto. Get in here.
1: He also worked on Orville Freeman's 1952 governor campaign, which he lost, but he won in 1954 and he won again in 1958. And in 1960, Orville Freeman made Mondale the Minnesota Attorney General after the previous one quit. So not too bad for a dude who's been practicing law for four years. Uh, He would later actually run for the office and then win it. Hmm. In 1963, when he was attorney general, Gideon versus Wainwright was heard by the Supreme Court. Now, this is actually a really interesting case, but I didn't want to go too far into it. So the gist, it covers whether or not states can actually actually have to provide counsel to defendants who can't afford it.
0: Oh, okay. I knew that. I was... was killing me. I thought it like, oh, this is a big precedent. I just don't remember what it
1: was. Yeah, um, and it actually is in the Constitution that they have to. But apparently Gideon was a difficult man to work with and kept like dismissing his lawyers and saying, I want a better one. So the state was like, Okay, we're just done. We're not providing you with one. And he was like, but you have to by the Constitution. They were like, no, we don't. And so that, of course, ends up the Supreme Court. Uh, Funnily, the Supreme Court did appoint him a counsel, (laughs) uh, who was Abe Fortas, who would later end up as a Supreme Court justice. Florida came to Walter Mondale and Edward J. McCormick of Massachusetts. And they were like, hey, can you write a friend of the court brief to support us? Mondale and McCormick were like, yes. Yes, we we can. We would love to write a friend of the court message to support Florida is what they were hoping for. That is not what they did. They got 23 states, a, state attorneys, generals together, all of whom agreed to write in support of Gideon and not the state of Florida. <laughs> so Florida gave them the idea and then they were like, nope, fuck you. We're going with rights and not the state. Uh, and this ultimately resulted in thousands of prisoners either being freed or given new trials. Awesome. 2,000 in Florida were freed alone. So Florida's always been the way Florida is.
0: Florida has always been Florida.
1: Yep. Gideon himself got a new trial and he was acquitted in less than an hour of deliberation. <laughs> now, I've mentioned this one before, but I don't think Mondale came up. Uh, do you remember the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party from the Fannie Lou Hamer episode? Yes. They were created after the Mis- after Mississippi... Prevented black people from voting in the state's primary election, if you haven't listened yet, and they created their own party. They went to the Democratic National Convention. They wanted to have their delegates replace the actual Mississippi delegates, saying that the Mississippi delegates had been elected illegally, which is true. So it was pretty clear this wasn't going to work. So Hubert Humphrey, Lyndon Johnson, and Walter Mondale came up with a compromise that said, okay, you guys can have two seats. The Mississippi ones are going to stay, but you guys can also have two seats. And I, if I understood it correctly, they'd get to vote, but they wouldn't get to participate in the actual discussion before the vote. They were just there to watch and vote. So they were like, uh, fuck you, and said no. So he, tr- he did something there. He failed. And then in 1964, he was appointed to the US, the U.S. Senate to fill up the seat when Hubert Humphrey resigned to be vice president. So funny how like his big steps all start with being appointed. Yeah. And he was officially voted in in 1966. He was first offered the VP nomination by George McGovern in 1972. McGovern would lose to Lincoln. No, not Lincoln. Nixon. But he turned it down and continued to serve as congressman. Mondale was what they called a flexible liberal, meaning he was liberal in a lot of ways, but overall operated as a centrist because he had noticed that in Minnesota, people who were Democrats were becoming more and more conservative. And so he was like, "Okay, I need to choose which hills I want to die on and then move myself over to appeal to my base in other ways. So it's kind of a picking your battles situation, deciding what really matters versus what you can kind of let slide. He went full liberal with civil rights, which Minnesota was actually on board with despite being overwhelmingly white. He was a sponsor of the Fair Housing Act and created HUD's Office of Fair Housing and Equal Opportunity. He also stopped supporting the Vietnam War when Nixon became president because Nixon was like, I'm going to have this war last forever. I made up a lot of fake quotes in this one. Uh, He had supported it when Johnson was in charge because he believed it would block the Soviet Union from expanding, but has since called it the biggest mistake of his career because he later understood that this was a civil war that we had no business being a part of. And see, this is a problem that I have with politicians. Mondale looked back and said, yes, that was a fuck up. I should not have done that. More politicians need to do that because I assume if you don't say I fucked up on something, I'm going to assume that you stand by what you did. (coughs) (laughs) on. and he was also very pro choice at the time which it was not okay to be and he he still is today but he was very pro choice in what year was this 1972 oh yeah he was pro choice and he was pro civil rights and he was pro women's rights and he was all of these things that are still controversial for some reason today he served on several communities committees C- communities He's, he had several committees. Um, he worked, served in several committees, many of which were about equal opportunity, including, including, like, I wanted to bring out this one because you know it matters to me. Um, I don't think it specifically still exists, but I'm not sure. The Senate Select Committee on Equal Education Opportunity, which, quote, was to study the effectiveness of existing laws and policies and assuring equality of educational opportunity, including policies of the United States with regard to segregation on the ground of race, color, or national origin, whatever the form of, self, of such segregation, and to examine the extent to which policies are applied uniformly in, in all regions of the United States. That was a mouthful. Yeah, basically it was segregation bad, let's stop it, and make sure that all states are abiding. And it wasn't actually just about race and ethnicity, it was also about special education, making sure that people with special needs had opportunities. On top of that, not only was he there talking about segregation and special education, he himself was a proponent of bilingual education and comprehensive child care. In the 70s. Wow. Yeah. This guy was, like, ahead of his fucking time. He'd be considered outrageously liberal today. Another committee he was on, I thought that this one would interest you, was the Aeronautical and Space Sciences Committee, which was which he was on when the Apollo 1 accident happened. Ooh. Like, basically, boom, boom, people die. Yeah. Uh, so after that happened, and they were trying to figure out what, what went wrong, he was given an, a linked, a leaked internal NASA report by a reporter who'd gotten hold of it, which showed that they knew there were problems with the contractor for the spacecraft, and it was issued by Apollo Program Director Samuel C. Phillips. At a hearing on February 27th, Mondale asked NASA Administrator James E. Webb if he knew, to, knew about the report, and he said he didn't, which was actually true. It had never been passed on to the NASA administrators, or at least this one. His his assistant had been given it and didn't give it to him. Ugh. So he was never actually told that, hey, we've got some concerns about the quality of the work that we're doing. We should investigate this. Like, I actually read the intro to it. It was, I'm seeing some issues. We need. I need you to get back to me by January about how you plan to fix this, and they didn't. So while Congress ultimately agreed that they should have been told about this, they ultimately determined that the contents of the report wouldn't have changed the outcome and left NASA off the hook. Mondale wrote the minority objection response, whatever it's called, saying that NASA was evasive patronizing, refusing to answer direct questions, and were more focused on appeasing their corporate partners than recognizing the tragedy for which they were responsible.
0: Damn. Yeah, oh,
1: he laid into them. And he said, he was actually later interviewed, like, Why were you so harsh? And he goes, well, I saw these problems and this was an open secret. Everybody knew that NASA didn't care about safety. I was tired of it. So I became a whistleblower about this. And guess what? They changed their safety policies.
0: NASA's like the most safety conscious entity ever.
1: Thanks to Walter Mondale. (laughs) Thanks to Walter Walter Mondale. Like saying, you know what? Screw you. I'm going public with what you guys are actually doing.
0: And it worked because we kind of, of like
1: that kid in Georgia who posted the photos on social media about the school that was not yes. following rules. Um, so he did a lot during all of this, but I really want to get into his like vice presidency and later. So I'm moving on. Uh, in 1976, Mondale was considered for the Democratic nomination for president, which is the same one Jimmy Carter was up for. He probably would have gotten it because nobody knew who Jimmy Carter was, but everybody knew who Walter Mondale was. He kind of started investigating it and then realized that he really didn't want to be president. So he didn't want to go through a campaign for something he didn't actually want to do. Jimmy Carter got the nomination and picked Mondale as his running bait. Mate, seeing that a northern liberal who's already well-known would be a good balance for this southern guy who wasn't well-known who ran on the outsider ticket, kind of like Trump, but not evil. Um,
0: Yeah, Jimmy Carter is possibly the least evil person.
1: It's actually really interesting because until Trump came along, he was the least publicly liked president, but now Trump's ratings are significantly lower. Now, there were a lot of problems during the Carter presidency. I'm not saying there weren't. But in terms of being evil... I'm pretty sure he's, like, the least evil. Yeah. I mean, look at him. He's, like, 95, and he's like, I, I know I just got out of the hospital, but I gotta go build this house for Habitat for Humanity, oh. so. Mondale became the fourth vice president in four years. First was Spiro Agnew, then Gerald Ford, then Nelson Rockefeller. I had no idea a Rockefeller was a vice president. That is how little we learn about Wow. Them. Mondale was like, yeah, I don't want to sit around like the previous vice presidents, even though the Constitution says I can. Otherwise, I don't wanna leave the Senate because he actually didn't see why he should leave the Senate where he was doing good to go sit in a ceremonial role that just made him more money, basically. So Jimmy Carter agreed, like, if you become vice president, we will rework what this role is. So he and Carter turned the job from one of just sitting around and waiting for the president to die into one of a high level advisor and problem solver. He was the first vice president to have an office in the White House. What And the two of them created the weekly lunches that the president and vice president still supposedly have today. In fact, everything that Mondale put into place was so well-liked it was adopted by both parties. And all of it is still the supposed job of the vice president today. That said, I'm pretty sure Pence just sits around in what I assume is a tea room with Mother going, maybe today is the day I'll become president, Mother.
0: Mother. Then the weekly lunches, like, ugh, he ate five hamburgers, as he calls them again, <laughs> Mother.
1: Um, He also wasn't afraid to openly disagree with Carter. Like Carter would make a bad decision. Mondale would be like, nope, I don't stand by this. I don't think you should do it. It's a bad idea. And he was usually right. Like when Carter made a speech about the crisis of confidence, which resulted in a uh, cabinet shakeup, Mondale was like, told you, told you this was a bad choice. You know, some people that would say, oh, they're just a bad match. They can't get along. Well, clearly they got along. To me, it says the president is not afraid of people who disagree with him.
0: Oh boy, wouldn't that be a great change of pace?
1: Mondale also served heavily in foreign policy, traveling around the world to advocate for his administration's policies. He worked on the negotiations with Egyptian President Anwar al-Sadat and Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin. Zach Bagans? I, I can say Anwar al-Sadat, but I actually don't know this guy's name, uh, which ended with the Camp David Accords. Which are a peace treaty between Israel and Egypt, which was the first of its kind between Israel and any of its neighbors. Joan Mondale, his wife, was also just not going to sit around. So she was actually made ombudsman for the arts while she while, she was, he, while her husband was in office.
0: Ombudsman, ombudsman is a word that is not used nearly enough. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Carter and Mondale ran for re-election in 1980, but lost big time to Reagan. Mondale moved to Chicago and practiced law as a regular old lawyer for a few years. The book Veeps says, unlike most of the men who, I love this, unlike most of the men who preceded him in office, Walter Mondale was competent. Deliberate, honest, candid, and loyal, but not to a fault. He never had embarrassments that showed up on the nightly news or in the weekly magazines. Shadowy men never brought him envelopes of cash in the White House basement. He was allowed extensive counsel with the president, and he was never sent off to the four corners of the world because the U.S. needed a photo op, and the president didn't want to risk contracting malaria or having rocks thrown at his motorcade. In other words, Mondale actually functioned in a real role. (laughs) All right, he ran for president in the 1984 election, though. This was actually an interesting election. It was the first time a Black person was considered a serious candidate, with Jesse Jackson running against Mondale for the nomination. We also ended up with the first female vice presidential candidate, Geraldine Ferraro, who ran with Mondale.
0: This is where I recognize Mondale from. It's from um, Stranger Things Season 2, in which they have the Mondale-Ferraro sign in the yard. Yeah. Yeah.
1: In a Biden esque way, Mondale insisted that his VP choice was someone who would be the first of something. So he refused to, in- to discuss any white Christian men as his option. So he had people who he picked. He, had look- he looked at women. He looked at people of color. He looked at Jewish people. Like, he was not going to have a white Christian man as his running mate. I have not actually seen a darn thing about his stance on LGBTQ stuff, like, but I also didn't search specifically for that now that I think about it, but also it was the 70s, so nobody, well, very people was, this are running the, around. No, the 80s. The 80s. There people are running around going, I'm gay and in politics, so who knows? There was
0: Harvey Milk, and that was it. And he was dead at this point. I
1: was going to say, I thought and he was he was dead. long dead. <laughs> yes. Which caused a lot of problems within his own group. They, want, they were wanting him to pick a Southern white man, kind of like Carter did the opposite with him. Uh, When he accepted the nomination, he actually had a really interesting speech. I highly recommend reading it. Uh, He makes a point of saying positive things about the other people he had beaten out for the nom, including Jesse Jackson, who I know is a very controversial figure even today. He brings up that America isn't just made up of rich white people. And he was extremely blunt saying, by the end of my first term, I will reduce the Reagan budget deficit by two thirds. Let's tell the truth. It must be done. It must be done. Mr. Reagan will raise taxes, and so will I. He won't tell you. I just did. This backfired. Oh, He was saying it because he wanted to be transparent, which is actually something he still talks about today. It's like, you have to be honest to be president. People instead saw it as, oh, it's a campaign pledge to raise taxes on domestic policies. That's bad. Um, Rather than the fucking truth, which it just was. Which, like, it goes back to, why do people like being lied to? Just because it makes them feel good. Why do you want to be lied to about something that's going to affect you in the long term?
0: I don't know. It's like, all, fair. it's all cow fire barns.
1: Like, I'm aggressively honest, as Austin will tell you.
0: It hurts my feelings a lot.
1: But I also know when it's appropriate to lie. And a campaign promise, I don't care what anybody says. That's not when you lie. Like, in fact, you shouldn't make campaign promises. You make campaign platforms. This is what I'm hoping to do. Don't tell me you will do something. You don't know if you will do it. You don't know if you can do it. You don't have a cabinet. You don't have people telling you what you can do yet. Just say, this is what I'm hoping to do. This was a problem because the middle class Southerners and blue collar Northerners who normally would have voted Democrat were saying, Reagan saved the economy. But he
0: didn't. He made it worse. It looks like
1: it was a short term solution to a long term problem. I was not able to get into it too much because that would have sent me down a whole other rabbit hole. But basically, it's and it's also the short term fixes it made are not repeatable. Most economists are looking, at, we couldn't do that now. Yeah. Especially because one of the things he did that actually hasn't changed was he changed the cap tap the tax cap from something I don't have it written out like seventy percent to twenty eight percent. We can't cut taxes like that again. Like that would go into now we pay you. So yeah. He ran on the ideas of supporting a nuclear freeze, reducing federal budget deficits, and the Equal Rights Amendment, which is still fucking controversial today, What the actual fuck. Places still haven't agreed to make people equal. Like, literally this year, Virginia just voted to ratify it, and 41 people in their house and 12 people in their Senate said no. Oh. Oh, and their deadline had already passed, and five other states have since revoked their approval of it.
0: So this is the hollowest of stupid
1: gestures. Not from him. Oh, no, but but from Virginia. From any place. Like, the Equal Rights Amendment is literally like, hey, let's pay people equally. Mondale actually did well in the first televised debate between him and Reagan, which made people realize that, damn, Reagan is old, and does he look a little senile to you? It's probably because he was. He was 73 at the time compared to Mondale's 56, which is so young now when you look at presidents. In the next debate though, Reagan came in guns blazing saying, I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. (laughs) Which sounds like a really good burn, right? Hey Reagan, remember how this dude has been in politics for 36 years and you were an actor and then a motivational speaker and basically the conservative version of Marianne Williamson until inexplicably becoming governor and now you've been in politics for 19 years? So half the time this dude has? Being old does not mean you're more experienced. It just means you're old. Mondale lost. Um, in fact, he only won D.C. and Minnesota, and his home state gave him less than 4,000 votes difference. Oh. So he moved back to Minneapolis and became just a regular lawyer again. He also chaired the Democratic National Democratic Institute for International Affairs and became the ambassador to, to Japan under Clinton. He uh, studied campaign finance reform. He was Clinton's special envoy to Indonesia. He served on a bunch of nonprofit boards, including one of the theaters. Because did you know that Minneapolis has the second highest number of theater seats in the country after New York City?
0: I did not know that. Yeah,
1: Minneapolis is a major theater city. Wow. Mm-hmm. So he's basically busy all the time. And then along came 2002. In 2002, Senator Paul Wellstone was killed in a plane crash 11 days before the election. So Mondale took over his ticket but ended up losing, making him the first person to lose a general election in all 50 states as the nominee of a major party.
0: Oh.
1: Because he lost the other 49 states in the presidential election, lost Minnesota this time. So the only place he didn't lose was D.C., which is not a state. He said that this was the last time he would ever run uh, for anything, and he has not run for anything since. But when he got out, he was like, Minnesota, uh, this is fine with me. Like, I still love you. You Like, We still get along. I'm going to go back to work. In 2006... Al Franken talked to Mondale about the possibility of running for Senate, and Mondale warned him that Republicans would be on the lookout for anything that he had ever done that they could use against him, which turned out to be abundantly true. Uh Uh-huh. And he endorsed Clinton in 2008, and then Obama when she uh, dropped out. He endorsed Klobuchar in 2019, because she's from Minnesota. Minnesota. They actually are friends. I haven't seen anything about him switching to Biden, but I would assume... His wife, Joan, uh, passed away in 2014 at the age of 83. They had three children, Ted, William, and Eleanor. Ted is a former Minnesota state senator and entrepreneur. Uh, William is the former assistant attorney general of Minnesota. And Eleanor was a television and radio personality who died in 2011 of brain cancer. Carter and Mondale have outlived every other presidential team, beating the record of President John Adams and Thomas Jefferson on May 23rd, 2006. So they beat them 14 years ago, and they are still both kicking, at which point they had been out of office for 25 years, four months, and three days. So they have now been out of office for 39 years and change. Wow. Both are still alive. Mondale is 92, Carter is 95. Nowadays, Moniel is living in the Lake of the Isles in Minneapolis. Apparently, he's a Monty Python fan, which I enjoy. (laughs) And he still has connection with the University of Minnesota Law School and occasionally has performed in the school's annual Theater of the Relatively Talentless, or TORT. (laughs) He is the Honorary Consul General of Norway in Minnesota. Because he's always been super into his family's Norwegian heritage and has worked to develop cultural activities related to Norway and Minnesota because you Swedes are just taking it all over.
0: We are. We are a plague upon Minnesota <laughs> and we're coming for you, Wisconsin.
1: He doesn't look or act 92. Like if you saw a picture, like okay, back then he looked like a 1940s movie star. Like he is a good looking man. And today he's 92. He doesn't look 92. He looks like he's late 70s, early 80s. And is still aware and involved to the extent at which he feels like being, saying... I don't have to go out and do speeches anymore. I can just give my message to people who I know and who I love, who are in politics now. And this will crack you up since uh, you'll get this. When asked, because he goes to like, these political events where you know people are honoring him and shit, he asked, was asked if he gets emotional. And he said, well, Norwegian emotional. <laughs> because yeah. people from your part of the world, what does emotion look like?
0: Something you see other people do. <laughs>
1: He hates that there's such division between parties now and that moderates on both sides were able to be reasonable back in the day. He hates Trump saying, I think he's an outrage. Honesty is where you begin. I don't care who you are. He also says that we need to pay attention to climate change and that women who report sexual harassment should be taken seriously. At the same time, those who they accuse should be given due process. And honestly, I think most reasonable people would agree. Yeah. Yes, this is a basic part of our democracy and our court system. They do need to get due process. I tried to find anything problematic about him. I was searching Walter Mondale scandal. Nothing. Nothing. I think I found the first unproblematic person in history. Wow. I mean, you don't have to agree with him, yeah. but he never cheated on his wife. He never cheated on his taxes. He never misused government funds. He never went around ra- yelling racist things at people. He never raped anybody. The worst haver was, was Scandal Adjacent, which was when Geraldine Ferraro, a newspaper caught wind that she and her husband were doing some weird stuff on their taxes, and they were asked to release their tax returns. And then her husband refused. So there was some misuse of funding happening somewhere is kind of what I understood, but I didn't go too far into it because Geraldine Ferraro was not my focus. See, the worst paper was, was adjacent. And this was after he'd already picked her. So this wasn't something he went in knowing. So I like to end with quotes when I can. In an interview about the civil rights movement, Mondale said, none of it was preordained. All of it was very hard to come by. So when you hear people say that citizens can't do anything, that it is foolish to become involved, that nobody listens, please tell them to take a hard look at American history. And while you're at it, take a look at Fannie Lou Hamer as well wow yeah so she beat him like he used to compromise she told him to fuck off and I feel like he probably went yeah this was a Respect. stupid compromise yeah so if you want to learn more about family Lou Hamer she is a while back but we did cover her all right you're ready for some questions
0: I'm ready for questions
1: will the fact that the VP has a real role due to Mondale be on the test yes will the fact that Mondale has never had any actual scandals be on the test I'm saying
0: no because then they'd have to acknowledge other scandals
1: well, we talk about Alexander Hamilton, so the one thing yeah. we talk about in school. And will the fact that he was and remains a champion of underprivileged groups be on the test? Yes. Yeah. I, like, I couldn't find anything to, like, I mean, some stuff is funny on its own, but I couldn't find anything to make fun of with this guy, like, and it's not just because I agree with him. Like, there's, also, like, what kind of person are you if you don't agree with things like, hey, be nice to people who look different than you? What kind of person are you? A monster. Yeah. yeah. You're wearing a MAGA hat. All right, so what's something you learned? Well,
0: I first of all, <laughs> I learned that the basics of who Walter Mondale was. I just knew him as a name and that he ran for president once and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I got, it's like, wow, he was, he was actually kind of cool.
1: Yeah, he, he is, he is still, he's cool. still alive. He's still lucid as far yep. as I could tell. He went into the hospital a few years ago, but that was all I could find that like health wise on him. And yeah, he's still up in Minnesota doing, doing his Mondale thing.
0: <laughs> what did you learn?
1: Um, I learned that if it wasn't for the great Chicago fire, H.H. Holmes never would have been able to get his Lost the city.
0: Yeah, it's
1: crazy. And I thought I knew everything about H. H. Holmes.
0: Nope, didn't know that. It's probably why we don't learn it in school.
1: <laughs> we probably don't learn about serial killers in school for a lot of reasons. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm getting really hungry, so let's wrap this up. Wrap I'm this assuming up. my steak is almost done.
0: It is almost done. I'm ready to put it on the skillet. I'm and so it.
1: excited, Austin. Austin not only got me steak, but he got me like Costco filet mignon. Yeah. So it's like affordable, but also makes me feel fancy.
0: It is also like 70 pounds.
1: Yes. And I will eat all of it. You guys have not lived until you've seen me like get into a steak.
0: She just unhinges her jaw and swallows it whole.
1: Yes. I would, I could never be a vegetarian. I've thought about it because I love all the animals, but I I have a lot of willpower, but I don't have that kind of willpower. Yeah. So where can people find us? Well, they can find
0: us. On Twitter, at OnTheTestPod. On Instagram, at OnTheTestPod. On Facebook, at Facebook.com slash OnTheTestPod. And our website, OnTheTestPod.com.
1: Yeah, and while you're at it, uh, also please leave us a rating or review or both on places like Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Because, you know, we don't judge
0: and just shout it to people like
1: random people on the street be like just, hey listen to will this be on the test
0: make sure you enunciate clearly you're wearing a mask i hope and you're maintaining social distance so enunciate and be loud
1: yes um remember what you learned in high school theater and just go with that
0: project
1: yes austin didn't take theater these are words he's recently learned
0: i did not take theater i took orchestra like a cool person but
1: okay in the last couple years what have you come to realize
0: i would have been good at theater
1: he would have been really good he's actually excellent at improv and he thought he hated theater then he got stuck with me and then the other day he was like can we watch broadway hd
0: there was a very interesting series of plays that it's basically the it's like the goes wrong show where everything goes wrong in a show and it's hilarious and i love it
1: Yes, it is the American version of the play that goes wrong. So yeah, rate, review, subscribe. And if you don't want to do those things, that's fine. Don't Just don't be a negative Nancy. Yep. We don't need that. No, There's don't enough be, negativity in our yeah, lives. Yeah,
0: don't be a negative Nancy Reagan to tie it into the episode. <laughs> and I guess on that note,
1: <laughs> class, class dismissed. dismissed.